You have 100 messages. Hey, it's Logan from Voicemail Poems. These are the pieces for the final week of our Spring 2017 issue. Gay Incantations by Billy Ray Belcourt. Exit Speech for Michelle Obama, Last Supper at the White House by Kelly Williams. Model 3.5 by Catherine Weiss. In Which I Am the Ouroboros by Dorothy McGinnis. And Pen Fort Edur by Caitlin Gilvery David Heiser. Y'all enjoy. My name is Billy Ray Belcourt, and I am calling from Oxford, England, but I'm originally from the Driftpile Cree Nation in northern Alberta. This poem is called Gay Incantations. I fall into the opening between subject and object and call it a condition of possibility. When I speak, only the ceiling listens. Sometimes it moans. If I am a body, let it be the sound his lips make. There is no word in my language for this. Sometimes my cookum begins to cry and the world falls out. Grieve is the name I give to myself. I carve it into the bed frame. I am make-believe. This is an archive. It hurts to be a story. I am the boundary between reality and fiction. It is a ghost town. You dreamt me out of existence. You are at once a map to nowhere and everywhere. Yesterday was an optical illusion. I kiss a stranger and give him a middle name. I call this love. It lasts for exactly 20 minutes. I chase after that feeling, which is to say, I want to almost not exist. Almost is the closest I can get to the sky. Heaven is a wormhole. I first found it in another man's armpit. Last night, I gave birth to a woman and named her Becoming. She has four Cree girls between the ages of 10 and 14 from northern Saskatchewan. We are a home movie I threw out by accident. All that is left is the signified. People die that way. This is Kelly Williams from Wilmington, North Carolina. The title of my poem is Exit Speech for Michelle Obama, Last Supper at the White House. To those that boycotted because Michelle Obama was named the spokesperson for Subway Healthy Eating Campaign. Call her monkey, call her mammy, call her pickaninny, call her common not worthy of sitting on white throne, call her black ink spot in your psychological exam, call her tar baby blue bitch, call her negro nigga never made it, call her heretic, call her communist, call her black cloud raining over white skies, say that nothing the color of soot and sawdust will ever tell you what to put in your mouth, say that nothing the color 
of black, whatever God, your tongue. Well, I seem to remember, master, I seem to remember how we stirring wooden spoon, mixing magic in kitchen, mixing fried freedmen forms of lard, smothered dough, and fat back how we ham hocked our way onto your dinner table. Smothered peas and pork chop, peach cobbled, slithered our necks onto your dining room, how we collar green glided across plate into mouth. Spicy scrambled eggs and flapjacks onto fork. Hot water cornbread coaxed our way onto your tablecloth. And you ate every bit of us. You sopped us up with syrup, biscuit, butter, and molasses. You drowned us down with toothache and sweet tea, and you loved our sugar. You licked us off your fingers and begged the seconds. We, the cook, the server, the dishwasher, the background music to your meal, singing food so good we stuck our foot in it, singing all that sweat, spit, and tears went into this soup. And you ignored our forthright song, your belly's full with greed. We have been the decider of what meanders into your cotton mouths for centuries, you smug snake. You have been tasting our sweat and tears, jagged Jehovah notes floating into every recipe, then tasting our sorrow and sincerest hate. So take a seat at our table. Let's fix you one final plate of harsh reality. I hope it goes down like gumbo glass slivers. So when you start to boycott, when you warm your throat to speak, you will feel how deeply we rest on your tongue. Hi, this is Catherine Weiss calling from Florence, Massachusetts, and this poem is called Model 3.5. When I meet my third and a half boyfriend, my number one dating priority is Societal acceptability. He is a model slash actor slash retail associate at Abercrombie and Fitch. Hot damn, says me in 2004, my puka shell necklace glinting over my artfully layered gap tank top. She checks all the societally appropriate boxes, if you know what I mean, and I hope that you do not. You know how sometimes when you preface an X, you start by disclaiming the at least they didn't, and it says so much about what they did, like, you never hit me, but my new boyfriend is saying things out loud at my smiling face. I am grateful he's a human being in the same room as me. Because I am 19, I call him refreshingly honest, like there's nothing more romantic than the phrase, I expect regular anal and will get it elsewhere if I need to, which, by the way, is a very silly ultimatum. You know how sometimes your boyfriend's name is Chris and his roommate is a cop named Chris, but with a K, and you pretend like that's a super funny story, and you pretend like being alone in their studio apartment with them does not make your skin crawl, and pretend you agree borrowing real handcuffs for sex is totally hot, until Chris shows you how much it isn't. It is April, and in two months I will be diagnosed with severe mental illness. I wonder what his excuse will be. Chris is seeing his ex behind my back. He thinks I don't know because I don't say anything, because he and I are now Facebook official, Chris being tall, cheekbones being chiseled. We are so compatible, he says. I am learning compatibility is compromise plus a man doing what he wants. And the months invested in this cardboard cutout are just the price I pay for looking less lonely than my friends. You know how sometimes your boyfriend uses the N-word in front of you 
and you ask him maybe not to, and he thinks it's funny how ridiculous you're being, and societal acceptability starts to seem like an elaborate joke you've been playing on everyone you meet, and what can you do except freeze the smile when the only person laughing holds the keys you need to leave? I'm Dorothy McGinnis. I'm calling from Salt Lake City, Utah. This is In Which I Am the Ouroboros. The cobra is known to eat one meal that then sustains her for weeks at a time. This single hunt, a declarative act of overindulgence. She's well aware what it is to have scales stretched, ready to burst, something sickening. Her body announcing this is not what God intended. Gluttony is a sin advertised on the thighs of girls who do not need to slither beneath the brush, who wear their skin like it's still got spare thread from sitting on the throne at the top of the food chain clinging to the inner corners of their knees. Soft, like worthiness, they are not a blight or a curse or a tumor or something else it is only natural to shed. When the cobra sees a mouse and thinks nausea before hunger, those are the good days. When her food, when her hood hangs loose around her tendons, those are the good weeks. How easy it must be to swallow without the word binge, its meaty question mark, this gristle of how much better you could be if you had a little willpower, damn it, getting caught between your teeth. How often does the cobra play with her own poison? When is she bitter that any other body can go down so quick God was hateful enough to make her resistant to her own toxin? Does she imagine her limp body, cold blood no longer coursing through her plump veins, and mourn the footprint circling in avoidance? No passerby marvel at her beauty, the somber elegance of this body that chose to stop breathing. How small a corpse is as it fades from memory, the quietness in describing a dead girl as beautiful. The cobra at night, caught between watchful white stars and earth she is not deserving of, dreams of ripping her forked tongue further down its divide until she is only two halves. She's wishing to create one half width of trail disheveling sand, but more so to find herself within a smaller coffin. In the meantime, she slips out of a top coat of skin, praying this new flesh is better. My name is Caitlin Gilberry Davidheiser, and I am reading my piece called Ten Fortitude for the Woman Who Loves Giles Corey. Sometimes I dream that I killed your second husband. There is blood everywhere, in the dream, in the bed, I wake bleeding between legs. I am still your little girl. At 10, I was so in love with Giles Corey when I read that he told those sons of bitches where to shove it when he wouldn't let them have him when he kept shouting more weight. I could do that too. I knew I would have told your husband to keep swinging. But then I read Giles killed his wife with witch trials. He killed the farmhand too. And I realized I will never be the violent man to take a stand. I will never have my violence erased as long as there are people like you to redeem people like him. I might as well be 
the witch, stupid bitch your husband named me. Could you ever really forget that we jumped state lines to hide on those days he hailed too many fists through drywall, screaming our names, digging for a world where he hadn't married a woman with two daughters made from the parts of other men, a world where he hadn't married a woman at all. Giles Corey was crushed to death for his willfulness. Well, me too. More weight, motherfucker. More weight. How can you unlove a violent man? Or how can you tell me that he wasn't? In those dreams, I tear fingers from knuckles, pop eyes, cut knees, and make him small. Almost small enough to fit in your mouth. Small enough for you to swallow, for you to choke. It happens so fast that I can't even hear you forgiving him. End of messages. Check erased messages. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at voicemailpoems.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much to our Patreon supporters. If you love what you hear and would like to help make voicemail poems happen, please visit patreon.com slash voicemail poems.